Welcome to the New Hampshire Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham, Managing Editor at nhjournal.com. So normally here in the podcast, we would have an interview with a newsmaker or one of the candidates for president here in the first in the nation primary. In this case, it's U.S. Senator Tim Scott, my fellow Palmetto Stater. And you have to sit through an extended round of bloviating from me about the big picture state of the race and going through the latest polls. Let me tell you what I think the candidates are doing wrong and blah, blah, blah. We're going to skip most of the blah, blah, blah. Because even though we caught up with Senator Scott for just a few minutes, he made some news. So I want to go ahead and get to our conversation as quickly as possible. Uh, a couple things, though, to share with you just so you have the backstory on our conversation. Former U.S. Senator Kelly Ayotte kicked off her campaign for governor this week, and she started off by taking some pot shots at Massachusetts. And as we said in H Journal, the only thing better for a Republican in New Hampshire than taking shots in Massachusetts is when you can get Massachusetts liberals to shoot back. And that is what happened this week. Uh, she said the state's only one election away from turning into Massachusetts. The folks in Massachusetts grouse complaints. She also talked about the flow of drugs. Uh, coming through the communities of Lawrence and Lowell on their way to the Granite State. And some people took objections to this. Uh, my friend John Keller at WZTV said that it was a racially tinged allegation. My not friend, Yvonne Abraham at the Boston Globe, had, had other references to race and how Ayotte was lining herself with people who want to protect white children and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so they, you know, put race at the center of what is just a classic, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust campaign move by a Republican in the Granite State. You make fun of Massachusetts. And by the way, uh, the notion that it's somehow racist to talk about drugs flowing through Lawrence when the DEA literally had an anti-drug effort targeting the flow of drugs from Lowell and Lawrence into New Hampshire that was called Operation Devil's Highway. You, you can't blame Kelly Ayotte for that, but it became a racial issue, so I asked uh, uh, Senator Scott about that. Also, I asked him about the controversy with Governor Ron DeSantis, who he's been critical of over the Florida guidelines on how to teach history and uh, references to slavery, and then one sentence about uh, you know uh, slaves who once they were able to no longer be enslaved, use some of the skills that they learned while they were slaves to, quote, benefit themselves in that controversy, and I asked him about that. I just want to say one thing for those of you particularly who aren't here in New Hampshire uh, about the Tim Scott campaign. Uh, there were a lot of criticisms early on from Republican insiders about his early visits. He didn't have many public events. Uh, his kind of kickoff event, the New Hampshire Institute of Politics, was kind of odd. It didn't go really well. It was a low energy affair. When it was over, no one applauded because I don't think they realized it was over. It was just, it, it wasn't great. And that surprised me because I've been watching uh, Senator Scott since he was Charleston County Councilor Scott. And I was doing talk radio back in the day. And he was an affable, personable uh, politician who was really good at kind of connecting with people. And a lot of observers expected more. Well, he was just in Salem, New Hampshire, about 10 days ago, and uh, several political pros I talked to who were in the room said it was one of the best town hall performances they've seen from any of the candidates. Uh, one uh, operative, it was the first time he'd seen Senator Scott. He was blown away. A real transformation of his uh, presentation. And the focus of it was personal 
engagement. He asked, answered a lot of policy questions, but very much in a kind of one, that one-on-one feeling you, know, you get when a candidate's working the room and it's like he's you know, zoned in on the people who are asking the questions. A lot of humor, a lot of self-deprecating humor, really solid work. And without a doubt, Senator Tim Scott is getting another look from Republican primary voters in New Hampshire. At the same time, this week, we had a poll that was commissioned by American Greatness, which is a pro-Trump group, but it still is a straight-up poll. Showed Donald Trump with 41% of the vote. Ron DeSantis was down at 11%. And poll after poll after poll show that regardless of who you're talking about, Republican primary voters in New Hampshire still are solidly with President Trump. The indictments not making a difference. The uh, mountain of ads coming in from uh, outside groups, including Americans for Prosperity, arguing that uh, Trump can't win uh, against Biden in the general election. So far, there's no indication that the message is having an impact in the public polls that we've seen. But still, if you talk to people about the campaign, and you're talking to the kind of geeks like me who go to campaign events, and I will tell you, one of the great things about New Hampshire is whether it's uh, Tim Scott or Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or whoever, when the candidates show up, there are crowds. You're going to see that in the coming days. Ron DeSantis is going to be here. He's doing an event with uh, former U.S. Senator Scott Brown and his wife, one of their uh, No BS Barbecue events. There are going to be crowds everywhere Governor DeSantis goes. New Hampshire voters take the primary and they're rolling it very seriously. Everyone's going to get good crowds. But what's changed in the past two or three weeks is that when you ask people about candidates, instead of the list basically being Trump and DeSantis, without a doubt, people are invoking Senator Tim Scott's name. Is this new direction he's taking, uh, taking on Ron DeSantis, going to help him continue to build momentum here in the Granite State? You'll have to decide for yourself. Here is U.S. Senator Tim Scott on the New Hampshire Journal podcast. It is always a delight to welcome a fellow South Carolinian to the New Hampshire Journal podcast, the lovely and talented Senator Tim Scott from Charleston. Senator, how are you? Michael, it's good to hear your voice again. I know I saw you recently when I was in New Hampshire. But I, I stalk you. you well. I, I stalk you all the time because I think you might wander in somehow to maybe some decent uh, collards, barbecue or fried chicken, which are so hard to find here in <laughs> New England. I have to make my own, Senator. Make my Always own. Always follow me to the food. Always well, follow me to the food. Well, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to get a federal subsidy for quality low country cooking around the country so that no one will be denied shrimp and grits or red rice. But well, um, Michael, let me, Michael, let me just interrupt you there. I got to tell you the truth. This is a really important truth. Do not miss it. Okay. We do not need federal subsidies <laughs> to promote Southern food. It is so good. We have become the food destination of the nation. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. So, Southern Louisiana <laughs> and Low Country, the two greatest cuisines on the planet by far in a way. So uh, let's jump in with uh, speaking of food. So when I'm my back in my political flack days, so which time you knew me slightly, I used to tell candidates that you don't want to do a single dish. You want a buffet. You want to have a lot of dishes so people can find something they really like. On your Tim Scott policy buffet, what are one or two items that you think New Hampshire Republican primary voters specifically should find interesting? I think there's no doubt that the importance of, of, of a parent's bill of rights, where parents have an opportunity to engage in what's happening in the classroom and what's happening to their kids is incredibly important. The more I travel throughout New Hampshire, the more I understand the importance of keeping parents fully and completely 
completely informed on the interactions and the activities during the day that their kids are experiencing in the classroom. That has become incredibly important to New Hampshire families. I've heard it in all the places I've traveled throughout the state, and I continue to hear it all can, the time. That's number can one. You imagine when, can you imagine when you were a Charleston County counselor, if Charleston County schools had said, your kids are going to come to school and they're going to engage in sexual or gender-related conduct, and when you ask about it as the mom or dad, our answer is going to be, you're not allowed to know. There would have been pitchforks and torches if that had happened. At, at my head would have exploded. There's no <laughs> doubt that giving an adult full reign over our children without the most important adults, their parents being right. a part of the conversation is wrong. It's not even close. It is absolutely positively unequivocally wrong. We must protect children by informing their parents. I can't believe the people who've said that anyone can be a parent, but not everyone can be a teacher. Hogwash. <laughs> the responsibility of that child, not the student, but of that right. child, belongs first and primarily to the parent. Yeah, so with the strength of the economy in New Hampshire, uh, you got to give a lot of credit to Governor Sununu, who's done a really good job. The unemployment rate in New Hampshire is 1.8%, unbelievably low. And so talking about the economic challenges that the rest of the country is facing doesn't necessarily land the same in New Hampshire. But what does matter to New Hampshire is the powerful impact of fentanyl and overdoses within the borders of the state. Live free or die is a motto that means a lot to the great state. And I got to tell you, protecting life as it relates to overdoses is really important to folks in New Hampshire. And I will say that the 70,000 lives lost to fentanyl coming across a border is really, really important in New Hampshire. 100,000 overdoses. When I was there before the campaign trail back in 2018, I went by fire stations and, and we investigated the importance of having Narcan being readily available right. so that 24-7 people could find the help they needed when their friends or loved ones were overdosing. That was a really important part of my uh, Opportunity Zone events that I traveled the country and going descending upon New Hampshire not as a presidential candidate, but just as a concerned American looking for solutions. It was very helpful, helpful for me and instructive to get that kind of wisdom off of uh, out of the fire departments in New Hampshire. So you had a decline for a few years after the peak around 2017, 2018, but now it's edging back up. And one of the arguments that you hear from uh, from uh, people who don't agree with you is that this is not a supply side problem. You can throw up everything you want at the border. First of all, fentanyl doesn't cross the border the way the old school way that people think of as cocaine and stuff back in the drug trading days. It's a different model using mail, using legal ports of entry and on and on. But the second thing that they say is You'll never fix the problem on the demand side. You have to do it on the, excuse me, on the supply side. You have to do the demand side. Can government, in particular, the federal government, do anything that matters when it comes to getting people to decide, I don't want to go down that path? Well, certainly it's, it's a difficult question, but an easy answer. Hope deferred makes the heart sick is what I hear in old scripture. But what I will tell you is that the mental health crisis that is raging across our country is in part because hope has been deferred for so long. Too many people are disillusioned about the prospects of a better life and a better future, and that leads to addictions. And I will simply say that the federal government should invest more in the health that is raging 
recently as I sat down with Governor Sununu, who helped me understand the importance of even even the northern border right. in the great state of New Hampshire, a thousand percent increase in challenges and illegal crossings coming across challenges uh, that happens on the northern border that the rest of the country doesn't pay attention to. He, he marks it as a real issue. So looking for ways to wrap our arms around the mental health crisis and addressing it is incredibly important to the state of New Hampshire. So there's another primary going on in New Hampshire for governor, many fine candidates. I'm not asking you to get into that fight at all, but I think it's interesting that one of the candidates, former U.S. Senator Kelly Ayotte, mentioned that you know m- much of the uh, drug trade into New Hampshire is coming out of a couple of hubs, in particular Lawrence, Mass., which has been identified, by the way, repeatedly over the past 20 years as a hub for drugs. And yet she's now being called a racist. The Boston Globe says she's talking about the brown people versus white people. And one of the arguments that people who take this line of uh, thought make is look at the disparate way that black uh, people accused of drug crimes, whether it's trafficking or possession, they've been treated differently from white uh, people, particularly more affluent white people. So two questions. One is, is it racist to talk about problems, whether it's Mexico, you know, a country that is predominantly full of people of Mexican descent being involved or a community like Lawrence, which is very race, racially diverse. Is that racially dangerous or problematic? And secondly, um, what about this idea that th- there are legitimate reasons to be suspicious when Republicans, in particular white Republicans, talk about cracking down on drug crimes? So we could have a long conversation about the disparity of sentencing around drug-related issues. But more importantly, let's talk about Kelly, Kelly Ayotte and her heart. I served with her in the Senate. I can tell you one thing about Kelly that everyone should hear, and let me say it clearly. She doesn't have a racist bone in her body. I don't know all the candidates running for governor. I'm not speaking to her uh, launch for governor. I am speaking to the character of the person that I served with shoulder to shoulder for years. The one thing she has is great compassion for people going through hard times. And the other thing she has is a strong sense of leadership to protect her citizens. And so I will simply say that drugs, no matter where they come from, it is terrible for the population that is impacted by it. And so everything that we can do to stamp out the drug trade in our nation is helpful. I don't care whether it comes from a white person, a black person, or Hispanic. It doesn't matter the source of the color of skin of the source. It matters that we stop it from impacting and corroding our, our communities. And that's good news. People, particularly the Boston Globe, who wants to make this into a racial issue Deny the fact that in New Hampshire, the folks who are dying from overdoses and drug uh, addiction consistently have the same complexion. So let's not make something into a racial issue when it's not a racial issue. Let's just talk about saving lives. So we're short on time. So let's let's tag, wrap up with that that question of making a racial issue where it shouldn't be. There are some people who say that that's what you've done by entering the controversy over Florida's updated history uh, uh, guidance for its public schools. Uh, What is your critique and what do you say to people who say you're feeding the woke left by joining in on the Kamala Harris bandwagon of attacking this uh, attempt to uh, right-size the education? Well, I, I say a couple of things, Michael. Thank you so much for the question. First, let's remember that Kamala Harris also signed off on uh, an education curriculum that included 
uh, benefits of slavery. What I said isn't controversial at all. Slavery has no redeeming benefit, no redeeming value. There's no silver lining in slavery. The fact is very clear that what slavery was about was the antithetical to who we are as Americans. We founded this nation upon the notion of freedom. Slavery is a deprivation of freedom. It is antithetical to who we are. That doesn't need to be explained. That just needs to be digested. And so truth be told, whether you're Kamala Harris or Ron DeSantis, having an opportunity to restate your position against slavery is always something that should be welcomed by all people, conservatives, liberals, black, white, rich, poor, red, blue. It doesn't really matter as long as we focus on the reality that more benefits, all of us, come when we have a serious conversation about the future of America, looking through the windshield, and when we're distracted by slavery and other issues that are a couple hundred years old, we find ourselves once again entangled in a hot mess in the rearview mirror that isn't necessary. Thanks for your time, Senator. We appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the New Hampshire Journal podcast. Please find us on Twitter, New Hamp Journal, on Facebook, NH Journal, and of course at nhjournal.com where you can sign up for our daily newsletter. I'm Michael Graham with Inside Sources. Thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.